0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: You know why It's a shame Lawrence isn't here because everything is coming up Millhouse for Liverpool. It's Tuesday, which means it's time for the Front 3 podcast with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Dave O'Brien. Oh, yeah. And the man, the myth, the legend himself, Chris Hennage, who joins us from Dublin Airport. Chris?
2: Yes, I'm currently in uh, the departure lounge waiting for a flight to, to Newark, New Jersey.
1: Very exciting, very exciting indeed. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us for the weekend review. We're going to talk all the weekend's action uh, it was a weekend, of course, where we saw essentially a real mismatch between two great rivals, described by some as a circus, described by others as a complete joke. Where this weekend we witnessed a consummate professional dismantle their opponent with ease in the end. Uh, but enough about Arsenal versus Liverpool. We do have to start <laughs> by talking about McGregor versus Mayweather. <laughs> Dave, uh, what did you make of the fight?
3: No, it, was, it was pretty decent. Um, I think, like, you know, wh- whenever you look at that and you see, like, the first round where McGregor sort of like, going on in uh, MMA style when Mayweather's sort of turning his back. It was almost like it just got played. And in like in a cage in in MMA, if they would had the same fight, McGregor would absolutely wipe the floor with him. And it's just, it's quite interesting that, you know, he's gone out of his comfort zone. He's done all right. but he still
1: got beat. Yeah, it just seemed a bit predictable in hindsight. It was like, oh, maybe McGregor could do this. What if Mayweather is injured or what if Mayweather is underestimated? McGregor? Maybe this will happen. But in the end, it was like, oh, McGregor went for it in the first three rounds, Mm. gassed himself out. Mayweather picked him (laughs) off after that with ease. Uh, You know, it it was like the most predictable conclusion. I was like, yeah, that was always going to happen. But entertaining. It was entertaining. Uh, Got to watch it on uh, True Geordie's live stream, uh, the knockout, I think he was calling it along with Lawrence 15 million views he got for that so uh, yeah not bad for a day's work also 40,000 subscribers in I think uh, just a few hours so yeah not not bad for a night's work so congratulations to true Geordie Uh, over half a million subscribers now on his channel so uh, go and subscribe if you don't already Um, let's move on to the football though guys this is the weekend review after all we're going to be getting in depth on Arsenal uh, who are in crisis once again Liverpool, who impressed this weekend and continue to make ambitious moves in the transfer market. We're also going to be talking the sack race between Slav and Bilic and Frank Tibor, who will win a little bit of Man United, a little bit of Spurs. We're going to finish up by talking Kylian Mbappe, who, of course, it emerged over the weekend, is set to join PSG, bringing to an end one of the biggest transfer sagas of the summer. First up, though, as I said there, we've got to talk about Arsenal and Arsene Wenger, Dave. The club are in crisis yet again. It's the same old Arsenal, isn't it? It's the Groundhog Day we always talk about. Um, I saw some interesting articles emerge over the weekend talking about the situation at the club. Uh, One in ESPN pointing out that Monday was the 6th anniversary of the infamous 8-2 defeat to Manchester United at Old Trafford and yet the same issues persist. Uh, Amy Lawrence of The Guardian worked out that Arsenal have suffered at least... 20 other such humiliating defeats in the past five years and yet the same issues persist Paul Hayward of the Telegraph describing the club as an institutionalized comfort zone um, which I think it's fair to say is bang on the club going through the same issues experiencing the same problems yet again Dave and a seeming inability for Arsene Wenger to change anything
3: yeah it's, it's a real interesting one again Arsenal started quite poorly in the season, but against Liverpool, Anfield, it was just pathetic. It was really pathetic in how they were set up. I think I've seen a lot of people analyse the Arsenal midfield. Oh, you know, Granit is miles away from Aaron Ramsey. That's been happening. like That was happening last season. And that was, you know, it's not a bad thing. That's a very fluid midfield, too, where one holds, one one pushes into the final third, and the system looks like they're playing, in a way, three players behind a central striker. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is, defensively, in terms of the, the back five or the back three, it's absolutely ridiculous how much space they were giving to Mane and Salah away from home at Anfield. It was crazy. Like The likes of o- Oxlade-Chamberlain Hector Bellerin, they were the real people that caused this, this big, big defeat. Not Granit Xhaka, not Aaron Ramsey. The wing-backs were just so poor in a defensive sense. They weren't getting back. They were almost playing in between. They were like playing in between the lines, should we say, of the defence and the midfield when they needed to be in the defence. They needed to be man-marking Mo Salah and, and of course, Sado Mane. That's what they needed to do, and they didn't do that, whether it was a tactical instruction from Arsene Wenger or there isn't any tactical instructions from Arsene Wenger about what the wing-backs should do in certain situations. It was absolutely ridiculous. It was just so blatantly obvious, and every time Liverpool exposed the back three, on the outside. They pulled the centre-backs over or they ran past the centre-backs and they scored goals from it. The first goal was a joke. They, they pressed the ball. Jürgen Klopp's side pressed the ball, which you know you're going to do. And they create a 5v4 in Arsenal's own half when Arsenal were building up. Absolutely terrible, terrible positional play from from um, Arsenal in terms of what they're doing off the ball, what they're doing even on the ball in a way, and it just kept on happening. It kept on happening. Arsenal players losing the ball in the in a dangerous area, not getting back, and there being so much space to exploit, and it was so easy. You know, the, the ball that um, Firmino put in for the Mane goal was fantastic ball, but it was just so easy. You know what Firmino does? He drops off the centre backs. So one of the Arsenal players followed him, then it opened up space for Mane to run in. But it's just so it's so easy. And yes, it was a good performance by Liverpool. And yes, they could have have won like maybe 8-0. But at the same time, it was just Arsenal were so bad. I think there's a stat that comes out over the last two seasons that Arsenal have conceded the third most shots on goal. And that's terrible. You know, Defensively, that's very, very poor, whether it is your defensive midfielder, your back three, your wing backs. It's just a terrible, terrible situation for Arsenal where they just look awful. And it looks like, yes, Wenger deserves some of the blame. Wenger may be setting, but some of these players, Jesus, what are they doing? Well, how how is Oxley Chamberlain getting one hundred again rejecting a eight hundred sorry one hundred eighty thousand pound a week contract when he doesn't know how to position himself as a wing back?
1: I saw that argument that you know uh, Wenger should take uh, the blame, but of course the players themselves should take some responsibility. The chairman as well, Stan Kroenke, but surely the issues you're talking about there. Dave, the buck stops Wenger, the inability to motivate these players to get the best out of players like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who looks like he's on his way to Chelsea now, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, Tactically inept, as you said there, the way he set out the team and a series of bizarre decisions, namely leaving Lacazette on the bench, leading uh, Kolasinac on the bench as well. Surely Wenger is the man to blame for this defeat.
3: I don't think so. I think it's, I don't think you can just blame the manager in this situation because there's a real lack of fight for some of these Arsenal players. And yeah, leaving out, um, you know, a player that could have played left wing back that would have been suited. Yes, that was a tactical issue. Leaving out Lacazette was was crazy. But Danny Welbeck did well in defensive. Um, you know, we nearly nicked the ball off Carriers twice. You know, Danny Welbeck gives you a lot in these bigger games um, as a defender from the front. So I can kind of understand that decision. Um, you know, bring Lacazette on as a more of an impact player later on when the game opens up. Um, but still, it's it's just the positioning of some of these guys. And the, this system worked quite well last season because it, it looked like they defensively, they were getting back into a semi decent shape. Now, Ozil and Sanchez don't even bother to track back. Alexis Sanchez has been pathetic for the last four or five months in terms of him stropping and not putting in performance. What, you know, if you're a club buying Alexis Sanchez, you've got to take that into consideration. If things don't go well for him, he'll throw his toys out the pram. The same thing happened at Barcelona before he left there; that he wasn't getting game time and he just started being moody and started, you know, you know, not playing it at the right intensity. And that happened again. You know, Arsenal fans saying, "Oh, yeah, it's fine for Sanchez; it's fine. You know, it's cool. He, you know, he deserves something better." No, he doesn't. He deserves to be playing football for your football club and he deserves to put in a flaming shift in. And if he's not putting a shift in, then he's the problem. That's the thing with this Arsenal team. There's no leaders in there; they're all pathetic. They are all seem to be you know, pushing the blame on different people. Nobody's standing up. And Sanchez is one of those people. Meza Ozil is another one of those guys that should be doing, doing more in a game like this. If Arsenal were set up properly and you could play Ozil on the counter-attack in a game like this, that's what you want to do. Having a back five could have created that system. And it's one of these things where it's players, it's performance, it's the whole Arsenal thing, which is created in a way by... Their fans and how their fans push their their thoughts onto their players. The players will watch this stuff. The players will watch these fans ranting and raving about Arsene Wenger. Then the players have got an easy excuse to to drop their levels of performance. These are guys that are getting paid over a hundred thousand pounds a week to kick a football around, and they can't even go away to go away to Anfield and put in a decent level of performance. It's pathetic. I, the whole thing is pathetic.
1: The I don't think Sanchez did any, himself any favours with that sort of wry smile on the bench, uh, Chris. I understand what Dave's saying there, but for me. Uh, Wenger is the man who's constructed this squad, he's brought in these players, for me it's his responsibility to uh, get the maximum out of them, be it on a mental level, be it on a physical level, be it on a tactical level as well for me the buck stops with him, and we're in this situation once again, Groundhog Day with Arsenal where, seemingly with Arsene Wenger and with Arsenal, the worse things get at the club, the more determined he is to stay uh, to right the wrongs but yet, uh, Arsenal just keep going in a downward spiral They do,
2: and and in many ways, to me, Oxlade-Chamberlain is the perfect microcosm for the situation because he's now potentially going to go to Chelsea and play the same position that he said he doesn't want to play for Arsenal, and I would imagine he's not going to demand 180 grand a week from Chelsea either. He's probably going to take a, a significant amount less because he wants to get that deal done. And the and the, the hilarious thing, or the 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 depressing thing, to me, depending on how you look at it, is that. Guys like Oxlade-Chamberlain should have been moved on from that club probably a good few years ago or at least been, you know, not given as many opportunities as they've had. They should have been tested more or pushed more, at least. There's so many of that squad that haven't performed for, for a few seasons now and haven't been consistent and haven't pushed Arsenal nearer a, a Premier League title. And yet, the summer comes, things rarely change. In this case, it was Alexander Lacazette comes in, that's the signing, in the same way that Mesut Ozil was the signing, and Sanchez was the signing. But it moves at such a glacial pace that they never put enough of it together to actually be able to challenge. And so it, it, on the one hand, you could say, you know, it, it's totally understandable that Chamberlain wants to do this. And the other way, Arsene thinks is essentially being sabotaged by the people that he showed loyalty to. And it's just, it's like, a, it's like something Shakespeare would write. It's, I've got it's a... baffling.
1: I've got to disagree in the sense that I feel like both of you are almost trying, <laughs> you're not putting the blame on Arsene Wenger. I feel like Chris, you're saying there about the, the players who haven't repaid his faith, essentially. I'd say that's Arsene oh, no, Wenger's no, no, fault no, no. for putting too much faith in them, no?
2: No, no, that's exactly my point, is that um, in essence, what you're, what you're seeing is, is a manager that put far too much faith in players right. that now are acting as if they have done something, as if they have, like Oxford Chamberlain, for example, he, he really hasn't achieved anything since he joined
1: from Southampton. He hasn't done that,
2: anything of naught consistently. No,
1: he's been in the Premier League for six years. And I think I saw a very uh, a very insightful tweet that says uh, he's been playing for six seasons and yet we've no idea if he's any good or not, which I think is uh, very true. But at the same time, <laughs> I respect that Oxlade-Chamberlain now, he's been offered 180 grand a week at Arsenal. And he's thinking, do you know what? No, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to go to a club where potentially uh, he's going to have better opportunities to win silverware. And I think... Uh, most people would argue that uh, more opportunities to develop as a player, which he clearly hasn't done at Arsenal under Arsene Wenger.
2: Well, that's. I mean, that's the other thing is, if if Chamberlain wasn't the athlete that he is, Chelsea wouldn't be even touching him. They're playing him in a position that they believe they can coach him into. Um, be, they, they, they can coach him into in the same way that they did with Victor Moses. Dave's spot on in terms of his, his positioning is not great. His crossing is inconsistent. His his goal contribution when he's been played centrally hasn't really been there. And this is the thing, this is a player that's demanding from Arsenal that he plays centrally. And so that that's the thing. Look, there are there's no one person to blame at Arsenal. There, there is a group of self-entitled players that have have fostered that self-entitlement because Arsene Wenger provided too much loyalty to them. And that's the problem, is that he's become, to me, So encased in this ideology and these principles that he set out, that he's so unwilling to change them and shift them, that that this kind of problem is is always likely to arise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with Chris there, Dave, that the buck stops of Arsenal Wenger, that he is the man responsible for the situation at the club. I don't think, as you intimated earlier, that you can blame the fans for the, the, the culture of failure that surrounds Arsenal. We all have our own issues with Arsenal fan TV, of course, uh, and the way they represent fans. But... Bangs though,
3: doesn't it? Trends yeah. on fucking YouTube.
1: Yeah, it definitely does bang, I'm sure, if the club <laughs> continues to go down this path. They'll have a million subscribers by uh, by Christmas and they'll be uh, they'll be having the last laugh. But last season was a complete failure for Arsenal. Uh, they finished outside the top four for the first time in Arsenal Wenger's tenure at the club. Um, the Wenger out-debate became more of a question of when he should go as opposed to should he go. Yet, Arsenal Wenger signed that new two-year deal, which I think most Arsenal fans and most observers would say was a mistake. Um, certainly, the first three games of the season have done nothing to, to dispute that. Uh, how do we see the rest of this campaign going, Dave? Because we're already three games in. And as we're saying, Arsenal are in crisis again. And they could be about to lose Alexis Sanchez to their rivals, Manchester City, before the transfer window closes.
3: I don't think so. I think getting rid of Alexis Sanchez is cutting off a problem with the club cutting off negative attitude. I think the thing that he did with, I think the problem with Wenger is that he's obviously can't motivate the players, tactically he's naive, but that's not new. That's not something that we've just seen this season. That's something that we've seen for the past few seasons. You think about all the big games that he's lost against the top six, where he keeps getting tactically outclassed by better coaches. And we haven't seen Arsenal Wenger do that to anyone since about 2005. Coaches. I think the big thing with that is like, you, you get rid of Sanchez, that is positive for Arsenal Football Club. You get rid of Meza Ozil, that's probably positive for Arsenal Football Club because these guys are now, yeah, they're almost like, you know, they're almost tumours in a way where they need to just go. That attitude just hasn't been good. They're not signing these new deals. Get rid of them. Um, and you think about the guys that they can bring in. So, that, you know, the big ones that have been linked with Arsenal, you've got Thomas Tufel, who is probably the only one that could take over right now because he hasn't got a job. But you think in Diego Simeone, you think oh, in Max there's, Allegri. There's no
1: way Arsenal Menga's leaving. Now, though, or any time before the end of the season, you just sign a new two year deal. Surely, you know, we can't even entertain the possibility of, as much as we would want to see it happen, we think it would be uh, better for the club. It's not going to happen, uh, is it?
3: Again, it's, it's mismanagement, but it's mismanagement for them signing the, the deal last season. You know, that's mismanagement. They could, you know, the person that I'd think, think would be perfect, Yardin, would be perfect for Arsenal to take them back to the days of the four-four-two. But then, okay, right, we go through the squad, we can pick, uh, you know, a handful of players that just shouldn't even be around next season that Arsenal should get rid of because they don't want to be at Arsenal Football Club and they don't show a desire to be an Arsenal Football Club. Chamberlain being one, you know, you could throw in Sanchez in there, you can throw a Meza Ozil in there. Um, And it's this thing where if they don't want to play for Arsenal, Arsenal now are in a transitional uh, season. They're in the Europa League. I said at the start of the season, their best way to get Champions League football is to win the Europa League. And that is so evident right now, even more evident than it was at the start of the season. So what they could do this season is they get rid of these guys that don't want to be at the football club anymore. Give the game time to the likes of Awobi. What's happened to Awobi? Awobi last season played four or five games where it was unstoppable. Yes, he's a young player. Yes, he's going to be inconsistent. Yes, he went out of form a little bit. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't isn't really involved in the first team um selection again you know whatever wenger's saying awobi will put a shift in for you awobi wants to play for arsenal football club awobi is a very talented young player and it's one of these things where where you know be it a manager change um bringing one of those guys i mentioned before in um you're still gonna have to get rid of the shit and that's the thing you've got to you've got to clean your house again and for arsenal right now it's not the right time you know and the fans the what the the fans need is is a new manager that's what the fans need because I think the thing with football fans that's been very, that's sort of come up to me this season as just a thought is they're very much looking for the blame, looking who to blame, be it the board, be it the manager, be it this guy, be it that guy, but they're not really looking into how to solve the problem. And that's with the fans, and then that's going to be with the board as well. And it's just one of these things where to, to sort Arsenal out, you've got to get in a big personality, you've got to get a Simeone in, you've got to get a two, two full in, you've got to get a, a yardim in, you've got to get someone like Max Allegri to sort out the mess. And with this squad, with some of the players within the squad, like I still think Aaron Ramsey could be a really good number 10, um, but played with midfielders behind him. He needs that protection. He isn't going to do the defensive work. He is, he's a goal scorer. That's what he is, a goal scorer midfielder. But he could score 15, 20 goals for you in a season if you play him in the right position. But they need someone to come in and just undress his Arsenal squad, get rid of the crap and then start again. Mm. And I think that's the problem. That is the big problem right now, is that they need this clean-out. And without losing Arsene Wenger, the clean-out won't start, unfortunately. The clean-out will be players like Mustafi, that's had a season and looked very good in some games, who's going to be off to Inter? Probably on his way,
1: yeah. Um, how,
3: how, does, how the hell does that work? Uh,
1: another baffling decision from Arsene Wenger. Uh, Chris, talk to me about Raheem Sterling. Then. Like I'm saying, this is the uh, the deal on the table for Manchester City. Uh, £20 million plus Sterling. Sterling himself said to be bemused that he's now been put up for sale by the club. Does seem a strange one, given how much they paid for him Uh, when he joined the club. He became the most expensive English player uh, of all time. He seems to be developing uh, reasonably well at the club. He's had an impressive start to the season, which Guardiola himself pointed to in his post-match interview after the win at Bournemouth at the weekend, where Raheem Sterling scored the winner. Regardless, I think this will be a good move for the player himself, and perhaps more importantly for Arsenal, who could lose Sanchez, yet gain Sterling.
2: I'm not sure, just because I feel like they need big characters at this point. I mean, Patrick Vieira said something that I thought was fairly pertinent, which was he didn't think that his team was more technically gifted than the current one, but he thought there was more, uh, I think he said, battlers or fighters in there. And, and the thing is, it, when you try and analyse this, it might seem really lazy to to boil it down to intangibles that you can't necessarily measure, like fight and passion and things like this. Stats. the thing is though yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the, that's the thing I, I look at that game on Sunday though and I do see a group of players who who aren't switched on mentally who aren't focused which again is an intangible but at the same time a group that didn't have anyone rousing them I mean this is the thing when granite jacko was signed from uh, gladback there was that story that floated around about him being given a house key when he was little and and you know wasn't this funny and let's laugh at it but that was billing him as a leader of sorts. And he's just not. That's, it's so easy to, to um, isolate players and say that it was this guy's fault or that guy's fault. I think there was probably three or four that stood out as being the worst of that eleven, And Xhaka was most definitely one because he was bossed from start to finish and he didn't do anything. That's that's the thing. I'm not entirely sure at this point what Xhaka does because he seems to be a defensive midfielder that doesn't really defend. And when he does it's usually quite risky, ends up with him with a yellow card, worst case scenario, a red card. And that's, that's 35 million that you've spent on someone that, that doesn't seem to be able as, as that you know, is neither use nor ornament, like doesn't, doesn't really have a purpose in the team. So it's to, to me, I think they need to get the coaching. I know Dave's talked about Tuchel they need to get somebody in and give them the time. You know, maybe it's January, maybe it's now and just say, right, Evaluate us from top to bottom and tell us what's wrong. Every sinew, every detail of this club, tell us where we're going wrong. And then you work about correcting those things and you work about fixing them. Because it's, it is I think, far too simple to say it's just the players involved at the minute. It's not. There's clearly been something that has seeped in and, and festered there for a while for it to get to this stage, I think.
1: Do you think the unthinkable could happen, Dave? Do you think we could see... Arsene Wenger be sacked by Arsenal this season. It does feel like uh, we're getting closer to the Nadir of his time at the club with his reputation, if not in tatters, then surely close to it now.
3: But This is the thing, is his reputation will never be in tatters because he's been at that football club for so long. He'll be celebrated after he leaves. I think that's the thing. He, fans will remember him for the good times and that's what they should do. You know, people over their lifetime when they get old start making bad decisions aren't as good at their job as what they were when they were 25 26 so it's one of these things where he needs to be remembered as a as a legend he's an arsenal legend let's not forget that um, but it's time to go like it's it's he's t- tarnishing his reputation now it's yeah. just time to it's time to like ship himself off and you know go maybe maybe move up you know the perfect thing for right now would be maybe Wenger Tufel. But then the problem with that is Tufel is quite a difficult character to work with. So Wenger would have to adapt to that. But then you can see Arsene Wenger adapting to that and then trying to help Tufel in that sort of sense of, of being a better person manager and not falling out with everyone at the club like he did at Borussia Dortmund. So it's a real interesting one, but it's it's it, there needs to be a change. And if there's not be, not a change, then it's just going to be another season of Arsenal fan T get TV getting on the trending page on YouTube, which just makes <laughs> into me feel a million sick. subscribers. Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, yeah. I think we've said it before. Worth saying again that he should have left two seasons ago. Once he won the FA Cup, time to step down. As you say, maybe move upstairs. But um, final point on Arsenal and Dave, the club. Perhaps unsurprisingly, given uh, the qualities we're talking about that Arsenal lack. Uh, looking to bring in Sergio Aguero instead of Raheem Sterling trying to convince C that, you know, oh, maybe we'd uh, we'd rather take the Argentinian instead. Uh, would that be a great move for Arsenal? Is that the sort of move that could sort of inspire and galvanise the club?
3: Um, yes, but where is he going to fit in this current system that Arsene Wenger's built? You, you know, there's not really a position for him there. Would it work potentially if Arsenal went back to a 4-2-3-1 with Meza Ozil behind Sergio Aguero? Yes. (laughs) Now that works. But then Sanchez, is he pushed out wide left? Yeah, probably. But Sanchez is... Not Sanchez, sorry. Lacazette. Um, Excuse me. Lacazette pushed out wide left? Yeah, why not? Lacazette is a very adaptable forward. Can play in any position across the front three. Great podcast. But at the same time... Do you have you've signed someone for 55 million who plays as a striker now you're getting another one just seems a bit messy maybe a 4-4-2 diamond could be the, the answer in a way that could be quite nice for Arsenal Mesut Ozil as a number 10 um, then the two guys obviously uh, both Aguero and uh, Lacazette ahead that could be quite tasty but then they got your fullbacks. Who positionally are terrible, Um, and in a four-four-two narrow diamond, you need to be able to have good fullbacks that understand how to defend. And unfortunately for Hector in at the moment, positionally he's been atrocious. And obviously Oxlade Chamberlain out is Monreal going to go back to left back? Is Monreal actually that good left back? No. So there's there's more problems again with signing. It's no, it doesn't solve anything. It really doesn't solve anything signing
1: Aguero. Let's talk about Liverpool then, because we often fall into this trap with the big games, the big teams losing. We talk about uh, you know the teams in crisis, as it were. But Chris. How good were Liverpool in this game? A hugely encouraging display, I think it's fair to say. Great performances from the Front Free Great Podcast. Uh, Mane, uh, Firmino, Salah, Emre Chan as well, putting in a great performance. Talk now, you know, that Liverpool could make a title challenge after an impressive start to the season. Would you agree with that, Chris?
2: I think they were devastating in attack, definitely. Um, There was a lot to like about Salah and Mane because just the speed and, and... the way that they transitioned from front to back so effortlessly—that would really excite me if I'm a Liverpool fan. I think the harmony between uh, Salah, Mane, and then Firmino is really starting to to present something, and, and it's only just about it. So, in theory, it could only get better. I think, in that regard, you know, you look at Firmino and you say, "Well." Everyone's talking about Coutinho as this huge, influential player. I would argue Firmino, for me, is, is putting more of an influence on things at the minute, which is not to say that they should lose Coutinho. But I think they only become even stronger when he comes back. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, it was one of those games where their attack meant that their defence didn't have to do anything realistically. Um, and as we know, there'll, there'll come moments where that defence is tested during the season and it has to, to, to hold up itself. But I think when you've got attacking pieces like that, that work together like that, um, you're going to put the fear of God into to any team. And for me, it's, it's slightly reminiscent of that title challenge under Brendan Rodgers. There's, there's just this air of the attack is so devastating that it will take a bit of pressure off the defence.
1: Everything coming up, Milhouse for Liverpool then, Dave. Uh, obviously this big win, uh, very encouraging, as I said. They've also signed Naby Cater. Finally, they've got their man. Um, not this summer though; he's coming next summer uh, in 2018. Uh, Liverpool paying 48 million pounds, I believe, for the uh, for the Leipzig midfielder, having uh, had bids of 57 million and 66 million rejected earlier this summer. So they're going to get their man next season. I just think this is as smart a move as it's being portrayed uh, in the press. It's
3: right, so an excellent move. I think it's more than 48. It's 48 is the release, and then Liverpool are paying more. Uh, to get the deal done, but
1: a little ten million of me, sort of sweetener to to make yeah, sure they've that, got that option just, essentially.
3: Just it is, a, it is a cheeky ten miller. You go and deal with that, lads. But part of me died this morning, Adam. The same thing happened when the Silver Brothers uh, moved clubs, when Jovetic, Marne, Kevin De Bruyne, and now Nabi <sighs> Keita. Just makes me upset. Why do they have to join <laughs> Manchester City? Why do they have to join Liverpool? <laughs>
1: Smart All that time
3: watching them wasted just frustrates me. Adam, it makes me upset. It makes me upset that they're going to get a guy that I've been praising because now I'm going to have to hate him. Um, but he is a you know a technically very gifted player. He, he's very you know if I were to describe him like a player, he's like Paul Pogba in terms of what he does on the ball. So for Liverpool fans, it's very 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 exciting because he has it all. He's an all-round midfielder. Can create. Can tackle. Can dribble. Can shoot he's got it all and i think that's why you know in a way that's why barcelona should have bought him and they didn't but anyway now he's gone to liverpool so um yeah that's it unfortunately adam
1: what do you think of this transfer business as a whole then because liverpool have also made a move for thomas lamar a uh, mm. bit unsure at the moment if they're going to get a deal over the line before thursday previously monaco have indicated they're refusing to sell uh, lamar but uh, I'm impressed by this transfer business. I've got to say, it shows ambition yeah. on Liverpool's part to go out there, signing Naby Keita, getting their man, albeit uh, in for the future, essentially, and now looking to beat Arsenal, who they uh, so convincingly defeated on the weekend, to the signing of Flamana.
3: It's quite interesting how they, how football is a, is a game where you know they have to wait until they were in the Champions League. They had to wait until they'd beaten Hoffenheim and they qualified before making the moves. But I've been very impressed with their moves. Apparently, there's rumours of uh, Virgil van Dijk's going to go through today. Um, which will be really interesting for Liverpool. Thomas Lamar doesn't make sense for me, for Liverpool, because they've got Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, who are Playing um, where Lamar could play, I don't. I don't like this rhetoric of Lamar playing as a central player. I don't think he's good enough to play central. I think he's quite inconsistent when he's on the ball, which suits being a winger. Get him the ball, and he'll create something. But sometimes he'll lose it. As a central midfielder, you've got to make better decisions. If Liverpool do go in for for Lamar, in a way, how I would set Liverpool, I'd move Marnie inside to it as a second striker, and it looked very uh, Brussia Dortmund-esque. You know, you've got two very pacey wingers, Salah and um, obviously the signing on the, the left wing in uh, Lamar and then obviously uh, you've got Mane to just drift around and create things and he played that role for Southampton and played it to a very good good effect and it, it, he's got the skills to play that position and you know it would add something else for Liverpool you know you think in the what they did so well against Arsenal was the false nine coming to the ball and the wingers making the running behind what you'd have if you've got a second striker as well is that into that sort of impact through the middle So you've got a lot of different positions where Liverpool can make these runs. And again, that could be something that will unlock teams because you're thinking last season when the the teams came and they sat so deep, um, Liverpool quite passive in terms of how they use the ball but if you've got three guys that make him runs in behind it's three passing options you know your fullbacks aren't going to get most of the ball anymore you're going to be looking for those balls over the top you know Jordan Henderson's um, pass that he always attempts like the sort of a central cross that's just so awful and gets defended so many times maybe that'll start working because there is three guys that are making a run in behind so it's an exciting signing for Liverpool getting but I don't think Monaco are going to let him go they've lost too much this season um, in Mbappé um, and the rest of the guys, Bakayoko, uh, Bernardo Silva. So it doesn't make sense for Monaco to, to let him go. And they, they're, not, they're in a position to say no. They don't need the cash because they are about to get £180 million or maybe not next next season from PSG.
1: The latest, as we're recording, is that Liverpool have bid £75 million plus Divock Origi, uh, potentially on loan. That one is unclear at the moment whether that's a, a permanent offer in the swap. But £74 million. Plus uh, I wonder if that would be hard to turn down that I think as you say there's been a lot of outgoings I think they've made 100 million already in uh, in uh, in transfers outgoing and as you say the yeah, Mbappe deal <laughs> is coming down the line uh, next season nearly,
3: nearly, nearly getting half a billion quid in players just because they get they made a decent run to the Champions League because yeah. they went for youth that is a that is what a football club should be looking at it's that a, is the model, a model of a football club a for the moment um, get young players Give them game time, let them go on a decent run, and then you'll make half a billion quid. It's simple as that.
1: It could end up being a a very good summer for Liverpool, though, Chris. I mean, fans seemed frustrated earlier in the window by the lack of activity, by the failure to sign Virgil van Dijk with the whole debacle, with the the apology needing to be made by the club, etc. But yet, they could still sign the Dutchman. They could be bringing in Thomas Lamar. They've kept hold of Philippe Coutinho in the face of interest from Barcelona. It could end up being a very good window for Liverpool, couldn't it?
2: Yeah, I I think Liverpool's business has actually been really shrewd. Um, Because if you think about it, a lot of teams have overpaid this summer in kind of a search for specific players. But they've kind of been able to to get exactly who they wanted, which is Solara and Keita, albeit in a year's time, for not ridiculous fees. So I think you can't really complain too much when, when that's how it pans out for you.
1: Right, part two. Let's talk the sack race. Slaven Bilic currently leading the way. Dave uh, set to remain West Ham manager after talks with the club, but surely this is just a stay of execution. His time is up now at the London Stadium. It's time for Bilic to go.
3: Time was up for Bilic when he you know, when he joined West Ham, as I did mention then, and it's come 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 true. Like it's it's funny how you know, I don't get, I don't get, I'm not at a club. I'm not getting, you know, I'm not getting paid by a club to make these type of decisions, but that was a bad decision. And it was very, 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 very there. It was so blatant that that was a bad decision. And it's just strange how it's sort of come back around. Like they're so bad defensively. Why they were good the first season is because they still had the organisation from Sam Allardyce. And then they went on this hype train. They got Dimitri Payet and Dimitri Payet was quality for them, but it almost covered up so many problems within the side. Like he carried that side and without him, they haven't, they haven't got that talisman and they don't defensively aren't good enough. And again, we saw that the weekend why they bought Pablo Zabaleta. I don't, I just don't understand that either. Like honestly, an old fullback that's not got the legs anymore. And with West Ham and how disjoint they are in terms of their their wide players don't defend their fullbacks, And you want Pablo Zabaleta to play against Nathan Reb, Marcus Rashford and then Christian Hatsu, all very pacey forwards. And then you don't give him any support, either from midfield or whatever. You know, I feel a bit sorry for Declan Rice because his confidence is going to be shot because quite frankly, defensively, he's been atrocious. And it's it's a bit unfair that Billich is throwing him in there. You're playing Declan Rice that looks like a bit more of a ball player. Mark Noble is also a ball player, and you're giving no defensive midfield protection for your fullbacks. And then the wingers aren't tracking back. It's just so many basic problems that West Ham have. You saw the amount of times that West Ham that sorry Newcastle broke down that side. It was ridiculous. But I think with Newcastle um, just going on to an, to Newcastle is that they're you know they looked a lot better than they did um, the week before. Against Huddersfield, midfield, that Isaac Hayden and um, Marino were absolutely atrocious. Like they, they were so square in their passing. But I think what um, we're getting from Marino now is actually a player that looks a little bit more confident, is playing more full passes. You know, the pass he played through for Atsu um, for the opening goal was a wonderful ball, a fantastic pass, and something that you can tell that you know a Spanish lad that has the technique and the ability, Spanish by trade almost. Um, But I think it's going to be um, an interesting season for Newcastle. But West Ham, they need to get rid of Bilic as soon as possible. But again, you go into this problem like, what do you do? Who do you bring in? There's nobody available.
1: Well, this is the question, isn't it, Chris? I mean, uh, potentially Slavon Bilic uh, going this season. I think he's been given a stay of execution, but no one's really expecting him to last past Christmas. Could have an impact on your club, Newcastle, uh, who, as Dave says there, were impressive at the weekend. Rafa Benitez, the favourite to replace Bilic if indeed he does leave, uh, of course, talk about how Benitez is dissatisfied with how things have gone over the summer at the club in terms of the transfer market and the support from Mike Ashley, uh, potentially your manager leaving for, uh, for East London. Chris, if Billich does, uh, does get the heave ho.
2: I don't think that'll happen personally. Um, there's been some misinformation about kind of release clauses and things like that. It would cost West Ham six million just to hire him and then assuming he matches the salary another five per year then on, he wouldn't have a a summer transfer window. Um, And I think really, you know, there's a bit of uncertainty as to how long Benitez stays in terms of two years, three years, whether he goes in May. But I think at least he stays until May because I think he quite likes the project. Um, I think I think there's part of him that... While he, he is probably loath to admit it, he doesn't actually think he's as hard done by as he is. Um, yes, he could do with more money, but I think he kind of likes the challenge of being able to to have a team where Isaac Hayden and, and Moreno are your centre midfielders and say, look, I can keep this team up. I mean, Moreno costs, or will cost, sorry, £8 million if we choose to turn the deal permanent. Um, for me, from what I've seen already, I'd do that tomorrow. Because... If Benitez hasn't wanted to compare him to Xabi Alonso but it's an obvious one because he's a midfielder that sits deep, his passing's good etc etc and he is he, you can tell he's just a quality player as, as Dave said you can tell he, he knows how to play a pass, um, he knows how to keep the ball as well which is, is I think really underrated as a as a, an ability and I think overall the team is starting to, to find its feet and find its identity um, so it would just surprise me if he did that. Um, I, th- I think, I think Dave's spot on. I think West Ham, for me, are, are a mess of a club in so many ways because the once the defensive stability that Allardyce has put in, kind of left them. They're now just a team that don't know what they're doing. The the, the, the fr- I think when Village came in, he he took the the shackles off a of bit and said, look, play with some freedom, play with some excitement, and that's what they did through Pi. So everyone held their position and. Allowed Pae to go and roam wherever he wanted. The second you lose Pae, then that creative burden seeps out onto everyone else just a little bit. But Mark Noble's not a creative player. Declan Rice isn't a creative player. Um, Marco Arnovich is uh, horrendously inconsistent and has a really shocking attitude. Javier Hernandez, I can't really argue with. I mean, he's a little bit older than I would like and a bit more expensive in terms of salary. But then you look at like Joe Hart and Zabaleta. Best years are definitely behind those two as it stands right now. Um, I mean Joe Hart for the third goal gets absolutely sold a hot dog. It's terrible. And then Zabaleta, again, a solid defender when the the player's next to him, but he he wouldn't win a he he wouldn't run a win a foot race. Um, and and that's a concern and that's the problem with West Ham is that the ideology that they had. Sort of late 90s when they had the best finish with Rio Ferdinand and Lampard that's so far from what they're trying now when they get all these big names in I just see it ending horribly for them mm. they just seem to lurch from one
1: bad mistake to another I think I heard a West Ham fan there in the in, in the background there very upset very upset um of course Slavin Bilic uh seemingly uh, the front runner for the sack race Dave but he's got some competition from Frank de Boer, I think it's fair to say. Uh, again, another manager who, according to the Guardian, is clinging on to his job after meetings with uh, the chairman, Stephen Parish today. Uh, three defeats for Palace, zero goals scored in that opening three fixtures. It uh, Hasn't been a great start, but I'm still surprised to see the talk of him being sacked, given, Dave, the talk in the summer that this was a long-term appointment, that Frank de Boer was going to bring in a sort of more considered approach, bringing through youth players, you know, maybe a bit more stability at the club as they look to build on their Premier League status. And yet, here we are, potentially another manager on the verge of the sack, Dave.
3: Honestly, right. I live, you know, probably you know an uber would take me 20 minutes or 25 minutes to sell us park right they sat me down i'm like right we're looking at these managerial candidates what do you think about frank de Boer?" i would have said if you're getting frank de Boer, you've got to realize that it may take a year or two if you want his possessional football from what you were playing the season before it's going to take time for you to have crisis talks after three games would be stupid I just don't understand the methodology of what these guys are thinking. They're spending a lot of money on these coaches and they're not thinking logically, like it's blatantly obvious that it's going to take time. The thing I think with the bore is yes, he may need to be a little bit more adaptable. I think the back three hasn't quite worked for him. I don't think having Tompkins um, and the other center half, whose name is maybe Martin Kelly at the back with Foster Mensah is, you know, is adaptable. Foster yes, can play that position because he's, Dutch he's come through the Alex Academy he's played at United he's played in the back three for United he played his wing back for United but the other two players are very much four four two players um that have played in back fours pretty much their whole career so now throwing them into a back three it's a big big gamble and it's one of these things where logically it doesn't make sense for the appointment if they're going to cut it so short but two as well like maybe what De Boer needs to go is go for a back four because right now, it just looks so bad as a back three. They're exposed like Arsenal are getting exposed. And again, it's going to take time for De Boer to work on these players. But them having crisis talks and showing they don't have any confidence in a, in a manager that they've signed, given that his squad is a Sam Allardyce squad, is pretty crazy. And it, it's stupid in a way. Very, very stupid from Palace as a whole to let this out. And they should be backing their manager. That's what they should be doing right now. They should be backing him and saying that it's a process. And we need to, you know, I sound like Louis van Gaal, but it, it is. They, they've gone down this route. They've made this commitment. If they wanted to get Tony Pulis or they wanted to get someone like Sam Alice, they should have done that. If they wanted to play that style of football, then they should have done that. But they didn't. They went this other way. They went the European way. But not giving that any time they are. is as bad as not.
1: Well, they're going to back him in the transfer market, at least the talk is uh, having previously been reluctant to, to stump up the 25 to £30 million pounds that it would have taken Liverpool to convince them to sell Mamdu Saku. They're going to go ahead and buy him now. That's going to solve all the problems, isn't it, Chris?
2: I, no, I mean, obviously it won't solve all the problems. I, th- I think Dave makes a very salient point that it takes time and it, it probably takes a shift of actually put playing stuff to, to transition to this new style because it is so different from, from what came before it. And, and that's the thing. You have to remember that this talk of, or this these reports of crisis talks, that'll have leaked through somebody. And I just think it's so counterproductive to, to do that because... All you're doing is undermining the position of your manager at that stage and you're you're almost encouraging people to speculate about their future um, I think to bring in someone like Fosu Mensah and then put him next to to Scott Dan um, and then on occasion I think Jario Redeveld has, has played in the back three as well. Not only is that three players that realistically won't know each other that well, I would thought probably Fosu Mensah and, and Redeveld will know each other maybe from from Dutch youth teams or just, you know, <laughs> shared nationality. But that aside, there's no fluency there. There's no harmony, no togetherness. And so, are you really going to be able to, to organise yourselves in the way you need to? And then they're trying to to make a right wing back out of either Andros Townsend or Joe Ward. And while Townsend's got the, the effort, um,
0: I don't think the rest... Uh, I don't think the the rest of them fit so well.
1: (laughs) I think Chris is trying to uh, give us some top-class analysis as well as hearing his flight information there, so i slightly distracted. Um, Any other talking points from the Premier League we should discuss before we finish up? Guys, Dave talked to me briefly about Manchester United, Uh, another win for them, back to the top of the table, uh, looking relatively good, although unfortunately Romelu Lukaku didn't uh, achieve the record of scoring in, in three consecutive Premier League games, his opening three games.
3: Yeah, it doesn't matter too much. He missed a penalty, so what? You know, maybe that means he needs to do some more work on the training ground in terms of uh, you know taking penalties. It wasn't the greatest penalty; it was savable, but it was a decent save from Michael. Maybe that's just some more work that needs to do. I'd rather miss a penalty in a 2 0 win than miss a penalty in a cup final. So I'm not too bothered with that. It just felt a little bit nervy, Manchester United. And again, I think there's some positional problems with the the, the full-backs, um, especially on the left-hand side. Daily Blind. Um, I don't think he gets forward enough Uh, I don't think he's got the recovery pace either To be a real top class wing back Um, But United were, were good Mourinho made the perfect change Bringing on Marcus Rashford Adding that width in the final third It was smart, it was clever the substitutions, both of them scored and they were good substitutions. So I think that's the thing that Mourinho has got. He's got a lot of weapons in his squad and he's been using his squad very well. I think that's it. Man United are top of the league and they deserve it. They've been the best team in the Premier League by a country mile. So I think, the, the you know, if they can continue this consistency, we could see a Mourinho uh, league one by maybe February. You know, he does do that sometimes where his team is just very, very consistent. You think Chelsea pretty much had won their title when they played the, uh, what was it, Carling Cup final? Um, so it could be one of those years where United just just walk it and they're looking like they are. They are. Paul Pogba is becoming the Pogba that everyone wanted to see. This uh, player that can control a game, that can shoot from range, that can switch the play. Pretty much everything um, just needs to work on his finishing in the box and, and then we'll be you know, one of the best midfielders in world football. So it's it's very exciting times for Manchester United. The only bit of scary news is Phil Jones has um, withdrawn from the England squad due to injury. I hope this is an Alex Ferguson-esque, um, you know, Pulling away of of a squad so the player can rest, not actually an injury because that'd be a little bit
1: worrying. Oh, we're we're all praying that uh, Phil Jones is all right. Uh, we're all praying. Um, Chris, any other business we need to discuss from Premier League this weekend? What did you make of the uh, the uh, finale to the Manchester City game? Obviously a late winner for them. Uh, Raheem Sterling with that goal. Uh, apparently, according to Mike Dean, was a bit overzealous in his celebration, celebrating with the crowd, earned himself a second yellow card, much to the the ire the likes of Alan Shearer, Gary Linnick, everyone going mad over this one, calling for Mike Dean to show some bloody common sense.
2: Yeah, I think, you know what it is, that that stadium is, it's a, it's a very, I don't actually know if it's an old stadium, but in terms of size and everything, it, I think it's fair to say it's not built for Premier League football. So really, in the case of Sterling, it was more that the crowd sort of, you know, swallowed him in than he went into the crowd. Um, and I think, yeah, I think there's faults the on sensor sensor both sides. Oh, not again. Are you kidding me? Um... In
0: essence,
2: I think there are faults on both sides in <laughs> so much as I think stewards are often paid minimum wage and, and aren't really always given the best training possible. I know I wasn't when I, when I did it as a job. Um, and they can be overzealous sometimes, um... In the same way that I think, I think it's difficult because players and fans want that connection, um, and you know what better way than if you travel all the way down to Bournemouth, score the ninety seventh minute, and you get that moment where you get to, you know, celebrate with the player. It's, it, I just yeah, I think common sense has to prevail too often. That I think it's far too clinical and robotic to say that um, the players shouldn't celebrate that kind of thing.
1: Anyone want to ask me a question about? Tottenham before we uh, we finish up on Mbappe?
2: So Adam Ooh. the Wembley curse is yeah. it a thing is it not?
1: Um, it's a great question uh, I'd say not I would say not I went to, to Wembley on on uh, on Sunday there to watch the game um, Spurs played well they did play well I think they created the, the majority of the chances um, just didn't take them as was sometimes the case at White Hart Lane last season sort of wasted the uh, the opportunities to kill off the game. Harry Kane, I think, was very eager to score, obviously, with that record of him failing to score in August in the Premier League in his career so far. Um, Tom Heaton, though, I think, was the uh, the man that prevented victory for Spurs. But there was a naivety towards the end of the game. We were sort of really pushing in those sort of last sort of five, ten minutes when perhaps it would have been smarter, as Ben Davies pointed out post-match, to sort of manage the game in a, in a, in a smarter way and sort of see it out, essentially, because... Although we were the better team and I think we actually played well at Wembley, uh, this the fact that we do give away the points, drop two points again in the sort of final couple of minutes of the game means that this talk of the Wembley curse, which I'm not putting much stock into, but it means the talk of it festers for another two weeks now while the international break's happening before we can sort of get back to Wembley against Swansea in the next game. So uh, it's disappointing uh, and you can't escape the fact that I think the stat during the rounds was that Tottenham have now drop more points in two matches at Wembley than they did at White Hart Lane in the entirety of last season, which is worrying in the sense that our impressive finishes over the past two years, and especially last season, was built on that home form. It's not ideal. I think most Spurs fans can't wait until we actually leave Wembley and move into the stadium next season. But at the moment... Uh, you know this is the situation we're in on the pitch we should have won um as I say a win would have banished any of this sort of Wembley talk and sort of alleviated that that sort of issue that seems to be hanging over the club at home so far this season Uh, another two weeks or so of that talk to go but um yeah I think we played well on the pitch I think if now Spurs need to make some signings there's talk of Serge Aurier coming in I think he's got a There's some sort of issues with his his visa. Um, There's a hearing today at the home office to see whether he's going to be allowed to join the club before deadline day. Um, Talk as well as uh, Juan Foyth, who is an Argentinian defender, young defender coming into the club. And also, I think a lot of Spurs fans would like to see an attacking option brought in someone who can bring a bit of pace, a bit of uh, ingenuity in that final third because Musa Suzoko is not exactly providing it right now. Um, the dream signings, I think uh, Draxler is someone that a lot of Spurs fans would like to see come in, given those reports a few weeks ago about PSG uh, being willing to sell him. Uh, Diva Corigi, I think people would like to see... Uh, Spurs try and make a move, try and get him out of Liverpool's hands, considering they're seemingly willing to part with him if the the rumours about the the Ma deal are to be believed. Uh, and Ross Barkley is well someone we've been linked with all summer. Daniel Levy apparently waiting until deadline day to try and force for a move that will be cheaper than the 50 million pound asking price that Everton are demanding. So I think, you know, if we can make two or three signings before Thursday, before the deadline is up, um, i start to feel a bit more optimistic about Spurs because it has been a, a disappointing start, let's say. Um, before we go, though, before we go, we do have to talk about one other big bit of news from the weekend. Uh, killing Mbappé, Dave, uh, he's moved to PSG, hasn't yet been confirmed by the club, I believe, at the time of our, uh, time of our recording. But all the reports are that he is going to join uh, the French uh, Super Club Uh, The deal is a loan deal, funnily enough. Um, A season-long loan with the obligation to buy him for £166 million next summer. This is some world-class FFP dodging, isn't it, Dave?
3: Yeah, it's incredible dodging. It's, It's perfect. You know, the Qataris are absolutely laughing into their coffee this morning, aren't they? Dodged it again. Got Neymar, now we're getting Mbappe. Might as well buy Cristiano Ronaldo next to complete a uh, you know a, a great summer of buys, but it's it's an interesting one. I think the thing with Mbappe, he has mentioned in the past that he wants to join PSG. You know, he was brought up in in Paris. Think what he could bring to that side: pace, directness. Um, it just be again. It's watching PSG on Friday night. They were still really disjoint. Like defensively, they were really disjoined. Yes, they were playing Ging no, they weren't playing Ging, yet. they? They were playing somebody in the French league and they absolutely trounced them. But still, the problem is still there where the front three stays up high up the pitch and then the back seven players defend. That won't win you a Champions League. And for me, you have to set that early doors in the season. You have to set a good defensive shape to continue. You can't just turn it on in the Champions League latter stages. You need to have that good philosophy in pressing and in working back for the whole thing. And Mbappe ain't gonna solve that. Mbappe's probably gonna be more like he's gonna stay up. Again, Mbappe's best position is arguably as a a striker and a two man strike force is Emery going to play a four four two with the likes of Neymar? Probably not. So it will be a front three. Great podcast. But again, what does Mbappe play out as a right winger? Cavani through the middle. you kind of got the Cavani problem again, where another striker's been brought, or another striker's at the club. You know, before it was Latan. Now what, is Cavani going to be pushed out wide again, or is Mbappe going to be pushed out wide, both not playing in the natural position? So it's it's a bit of a weird one, the, the, the signing, how it all works together. But it's just money grabbing and grabbing talent, and that's exactly what PSG are going to do.
1: And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings an end to the Weekend Review podcast. Hope you enjoyed it this week. Uh, As it was coming to you on Tuesday, it's a bit more relaxed, I think. You know, we didn't go into every game in depth. We were kind of talking about the bigger issues there. Of course, Arsenal uh, and the sack race as well. uh, And some of the other happenings from the weekend. Uh, Normal service will be resumed on Thursday with the Q&A podcast coming for you. Until then, Dave, where can the listeners, where can the whole find you?
3: Um in london um so if any you know west ham crystal palace owners want to have a chat about managerial appointments you know just just pay for the uber and maybe a cup of coffee and we could have a nice wag about it
1: he's available dave is available uh chris Hennage, he's still there if you haven't already have you boarded your flight you're about to board your flight i just boarded
2: i just, i'm just sitting
1: sitting are you, there are you on the up, plane uh, right now I am it. Oh, mate, we've actually we've been with you throughout the whole journey, through the gates onto the plane. Fantastic. Well, uh, have a safe flight, Chris. Uh, enjoy yourself, and we'll uh, we'll hopefully speak to you on Thursday as well for the Q and A podcast.
2: <laughs> Sounds lovely.
1: Guys, we'll see you on Thursday too. Until then, have a great week.